welcome to Trading Spaces. I'm glad you're here, and I need to let you know that's exactly what we're doing. You know, we have titles for all our series, but I don't know that a series ever had a more appropriate title than this one. Because right now at Messiah, we're involved in a major remodel. And let me tell you a little bit about it. We're not remodeling because we're tired of our building, or we don't like the carpet, or the paint color on the walls. We have a blessed issue here at Messiah, and because of the growth of our congregation, especially in the growth of our younger congregation, we are actually exploding in our kids' ministries. And uh, when we moved out here uh, six, six, excuse me, seven years ago last week, we were averaging about 700 in attendance. And so when we moved out here, we thought these kids' facilities are going to be adequate. Well, we have learned a lesson, uh, maybe the good way, because God has so grown us that we're now having to take facility that we had dedicated toward adult education and, and maybe for office space and turning it into kids' space. And uh, what you saw in the clip there a few moments ago, you just saw a little snippet, a little clip of what, what's happening here. But what you also have to understand is it's not only our facility that's being remodeled, it's a great deal of what we do around here. Because as you can imagine, when you begin to move one piece of the puzzle, almost all the pieces have to move. And so you're here at a time when at Messiah we are seriously reevaluating how we conduct ministry and how we reach people. And it's so important. And I say that right out of the box because I need to let you know something. And I always try to communicate this privately uh, if, if someone is evaluating coming to our congregation. I also want to let you know publicly, our church is not everybody's cup of tea. I know that. There are a lot of good churches in this community. And you have to determine before you come into this community that this is the kind of church that you want to be in. And my goal in this message today is to communicate to you what our purpose is and why it is that we're trading spaces. Because some of you are probably evaluating whether or not this is going to be the place, the community, where you worship the Lord. And, and that's fine. You know, I've always shared with you throughout all the years, and God willing, on Tuesday, I will be here 21 years. It's just hard to believe so much time has passed. But I've always tried to share this through the years. I don't want to talk anybody into coming here. The Holy Spirit needs to talk you into being here. And if, if you don't feel the leadership of God, that this is a place where, where, where your family needs to worship the Lord, then God will lead you in that direction, and that's fine with us. What we're trying to say is this is what God is leading us to do as a family of faith. And if it syncs up, if it syncs up with your purpose, then come help us continue to grow this great ministry. Today I want to talk to you about why we're trading spaces. In the book of Matthew, the last chapter, our Lord had already died on the cross and he had risen from the grave. And he is calling together his followers to give them what matters most and to give them this as a job. And here's what he said in Matthew 28, verse 18. Jesus said, I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you. And be sure of this, Jesus said, I'm with you all the way to the end of the age. Now, this is what our Lord said to us that we, we need to do. And, and the real verb there in that verse is that we are to go and make disciples. The, the Greek word there means to enroll followers. All over the world, our, our chore, those of us who have already started following Jesus Christ, that's our chore, enroll pupils, enroll followers of Jesus Christ. Now, someone will say, well, Mark, who, who's, who has that job? 
Uh, that's you. You're the pastor. Your, your job is to go out to all the world and enroll followers. If you have followed Jesus Christ, that's your chore. And someday, you and I are going to stand before the Lord, and he's going to ask us about how well we did in enrolling followers. That was what Jesus wanted. Before he left town, he called the disciples together and said, this is it. This is what I want you to do. I want you to enroll followers. So I'm going to ask you a question this morning. For all of us, I mean, some of you have been following Jesus for many years. Some of you have been following for a few days. How are you doing? How are you doing at enrolling followers of Jesus? Most of us are probably going to say, well, it's something I talk about a lot more than I actually do. That's sure been my experience in church through the years. I mean, you know, it's like people, it's like, it's like people that go to practice but never play the game. We talk a lot about enrolling followers, but, but really do very little, bit, a little of it. And, and the reason why I think we are so, so unsuccessful is we fail to recognize the fact that God has given us a platform. God has given us a, a framework for reaching the world with the truth of the gospel, and that framework is the church. This is what Jesus said in Matthew 16, verse 18. Upon this rock I will build my church, and the powers of hell will not conquer it. The church is God's way of connecting people to Jesus Christ. And so here's the deal. When you and I involve ourselves in the work of this church, we are carrying out the work that Jesus assigned us all to do. And that's how God envisioned the church. People bringing their gifts into the church, their spiritual gifts, their abilities, the church working together, all of us, you know, pulling together, doing what God has instructed and gifted us to do. And as we work together, People come in our doors, they hear the word of God, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God, and their lives are transformed, and that's what's happening here at Messiah. And you and I are getting to experience, and we're getting to live out a very, very special dream. See, the problem with most churches is that we have the idea the church is a club. You know, we come in here, we sort of soak it up, we're, we kind of do the club thing, and we do club religion, and then we go out in the world and we make followers of Jesus Christ, and, and it never works very well, does it? And it's not that we can't connect with people outside our doors, but it's just this is the place where the food is served. This is the place where the bread of life is presented. And so consequently, we have to understand that God has given to us this great opportunity as a church not to be a club of inside traders. God has brought us together as, as a team to communicate the important message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, let me get down to it. 85% of churches in America are either plateaued or in decline. By plateaued, I mean they've flattened out. They're not growing anymore. 85% of American churches are either flat or going down. Now that is something that ought to cause us to stop and think. 85% of the 15% that are growing, almost all the ones who are growing are growing by transfer growth. That means that they're just in urban settings or they're in suburban settings and, and people move into thriving communities and they transfer from one church to the other. So instead of the Christians in the church being fishers of men, we're just swapping fish in the aquarium. Less than 1%, about less than 1% of churches are actually reaching out to people who have yet to follow Jesus Christ and are growing through people accepting faith in Christ. Now, that's amazing to me. Because I'm, I'm not an economist, but I'm savvy enough to know that if 85% of our economy in America was either plateaued or in decline, there would be a word for that. Some of you lived through one back in the 20s and 30s. The word would be depression. 
If 85% of our economy was in decline, and here's the deal, I, I don't think it really catches the attention of the average American Christian that 85% of American churches are plateaued or in decline. I don't think they care. But if the economy was flat, they'd care. What's the matter with, what's the matter with us as a people? And then beyond that, if you look at, if you look at nations where Christianity is, uh, is impoverished or persecuted, 85% of their churches aren't plateaued or in decline. They're growing. So why is it that we're, we're struggling like that in America? Why is it that 85%, and thankfully that's not true of Messiah, but in, 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 I don't, I've never seen it be that way, but, but let's just ask the question, why is it that 85%, such an overwhelming percentage of American churches are plateaued or in decline? You want the nasty little secret? They don't grow because American Christians don't want the churches to grow. See, Americans get what they want. That's part of our life. If we want something, if we want fast food, we get it. If we want technology, we get it. Americans always get what they want. And if American churches are not growing, it's because American Christians just flat out do not want their churches to grow. So that begs another question, a, se a secondary question. Why do most American Christians not want their churches to grow? When Jesus said, what this whole thing is about is going into all the world and enrolling peoples for Jesus Christ. You know, I, I, was, I was in a department store the other day, and, and a guy came up behind me, real nice fellow, and I, I didn't know who he was. I just heard a voice behind me. He, he, he asked, are you a good Baptist? I mean, that's all he said to me. Are you a good Baptist? And just instinctively, I said, no, I'm not even sure what a Baptist is. I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. But he was real nice, and, and he, he let me know. He, he saw me on television. Real nice fellow, an attorney, and, and just, just as gracious as he could be. And, and he was telling us that he, had, he'd, he'd watched our ministry, and he liked our, our, our ministry. And, and he said, I need to get over and visit your, your church. And he, he asked me, he said, how, how, how large is your church? And I told him about the number of people who attend here. And that quickly said, oh, that's too big. And I said, it's impossible for a church to be too big. See, I, I may be talking to some of you, you say, I like a small church. I love you so much. I just don't think you know who Jesus is yet. Because, see, you got the club mentality. I mean, the thing about it is, six billion people in the world, half of them never heard the name of Jesus. The people who receive Jesus go to heaven. The people who don't receive Jesus spend eternity in hell. How can we possibly say we like a small church? Clueless to who Jesus is. And I was so impressed with this man because, you know, the, the moment he said those words and he heard that, he said, you know, you're exactly right. And I think sometimes we kind of need that reality check. And, and again, I was just, I was impressed that he, he picked it up that quickly. But some of us don't get it that quickly. Why is it that American Christians do not want churches to grow? I don't like to use big words because, first of all, I'm not very smart. But every once in a while, I got to use one because there's really nothing else I can use. There's a word... In institutionalism. In institutionalism, basically everything that gets done gets done to support the institution. And the institution is what it's about. The reason why 85% of American churches are either plateaued or in decline is because there has developed within that church a subculture of institutionalism. The things that happen there happen there in order to to keep the mortgage paid and the lights on and the pastor paid, and, and, and that's why the church is there, in order to support the institution. I got a lesson in this years ago when I was on the board of directors for a Christian college, 
And it was just a totally frustrating experience because as I would sit through those board meetings that we had two or three times a year, I, I was always wondering, what can we do to reach more young people? What can we do to equip these young people who are coming to our college? How can we find a better way to equip them to reach the world? And yet every time I would go to these meetings, it was always about, well, these are the economics and we're not doing well, and how can we cut corners, and how can we do this, and how can we do this to keep our doors open? And I got really frustrated with that until one day I went to a meeting and the leader of the college said this to us. He had worked out a formula. He had looked at how much a student brought into the college as far as revenue goes. And he said to us on the board, he said, it ne we need X number of students in order to keep our doors open. That was my last board meeting. When I was driving Mary Alice to dinner that night, I said, I just figured out what's going wrong with this college. In this college, the students exist for the college and not the college for the students. Because where the college exists for the students, there are ample students. But where it's the students existing for the college, there's, you know, students are not lining up to give themselves to a college where their tuition is just to keep the doors open. And that same paradigm shifts and connects with the church. When the church only exists to pay its bills, why would anybody go to that place? But I want you to know something here today at Messiah. And you may hear today's message and you may say, well, this is not my cup of tea. And I'm okay with that. I'm, I'm more than fine with that, actually. I want you to know we don't exist here to pay our mortgage payment. We don't exist here to pay our bills. We don't exist here to, to pay your pastor. There are too many other ways I could make a living if that's what it was about. We don't exist here just to pay the staff. Everybody who is here, this building, this property, everything that is here exists to help people make a connection with Jesus Christ. That is why we are here, and that is our purpose. See, there's a great deal of difference between institutionalism and having a purpose. When you have a purpose, you know what it is that you're trying to accomplish. And the thing about having a purpose is I can reach out to you and I can say, help us. We have a purpose. There's something that we're trying to accomplish. Through the years, I, as I said, I've been a pastor here for 21 years this week, and, and I've been in full-time pastoring for almost 30 years. I, I've heard one expression over and over. I've heard people on, you know, who are not followers of Jesus say, I don't like organized religion. You ever hear anybody say that? Why do people say that? Is it because they have the mark of the beast? Is it because that they just, you know, hate Jesus? No. I really think many times they're trying to tell us something. What's happened is they've looked through the average church and they figured it out. They figured out that the church exists in order to stay in existence. Several years ago, and forgive me for breaking a sentence, some of you may have read a book by a guy named Rick Warren called Purpose Driven Life. It's bestseller, and, and it has been for quite a while. But before Rick Warren wrote Purpose Driven Life, he wrote another, church that, uh, another book that turned out to be very controversial. And that book was called Purpose Driven Church. And it, it, uh, it really hit American churches kind of hard because what he challenged American churches to do was to look and see if they really had a purpose for what they were doing. And he said, don't try to copy what we, what we did at Saddleback out in California. When he started Saddleback in the 70s, what he did, he went door to door and asked people why they didn't like church, and they told him, and, and if it was a legitimate beef, he determined Saddleback would never have that quality in their church. And it exploded, great church. In fact, Forbes magazine said that if Saddleback were an American business, it would be like Dell Computers. It's a great church. But in his book, he said, don't try to copy what we did. He said, just make sure that you have a purpose. 
Make sure that, he said, something will drive every church. In some churches, it's a program. In some churches, it's a person or it's a purpose. He said, whatever it is, have a purpose and live up to that purpose. And wow, I tell you, it really hit the fan. And a lot of people, I mean, there are blog sites where people spend a lot of their time. And by the way, you know, when I read some blog sites, I don't read too many, but it, it impresses me that people have too much time on their hands. But boy, it hit the blog site. It's controversial. You know, and, and, and his book became very controversial. And then there are churches that are so purpose-driven, churches that are not purpose-driven. I promise you, this is true, what I'm about to tell you. Our staff was on our way to Missouri for our, our planning meeting and our retreat back in October. And we were going through this little Missouri town, and there was this little church building. I promise it couldn't have had more than 100 people in the church. But on their marquee, you know, they have one of these marquees outside where they put the letters on, they change the letters. And, man, when I drive by a lot of churches and I see what they put on their signs, I just want to groan and think that most churches should have their letters taken away from them. I promise you, this was on their sign. It said, we are not a purpose-driven church. <laughs> now, here's the deal. When you find a place where you're going to worship the Lord, it's going to be your community of faith. You need to settle on what that purpose is. And if it's your purpose, then sync up with that church and sell out for it. If it's not your purpose, then find a church that has your purpose. Or if you've been institutionalized, then you need to find a church where it's all about the institution. It shouldn't be difficult if 85% of them are out there. You know, I have a friend, and, and, and this is the first time I ever heard the term institutionalized. I have a very, very good friend who, who, who's, because of a health concern, he's been placed in a care facility. And there was an opportunity for him to be with his family on a holiday, and he was there for a relatively short time, and he asked to go back. And I know some of us sort of had our mouths open at why he would react that way. And his daughter, who's a healthcare professional, she said, it's because he's been institutionalized. And that's the thing that kind of worries me. If 85% of American churches are plateaued or in decline because most of them have become, uh, if it's institutionalism is taking place, one of the problems that I have as a leader and other leaders have in our church when we talk to some of you who come from other churches is that you will begin to believe that Inst the institution is what it's all about because you've been institutionalized. And what I'm calling you today is to take a look at what the purpose is of our church. For those of you who like to read books about, about business paradigms and business successes, uh, you may recognize the name, the name Roberto Guzetta. He was the CEO and the chairman of Coca-Cola. And he, his tenure lasted from, from 1981 until 1997, when unfortunately he developed a sudden but very serious illness and died. Under Roberto Gazetta's tenure at Coca-Cola, the company grew from $4 billion in net worth to $150 billion in net worth. For those of you who are quick in mathematics, that's a 3,500% growth rate. Pretty amazing. It's no wonder that Roberto Gazetta was a sought-after man to speak, to talk to other business leaders about how his company was a success. Just a few months before he died, he was speaking to a group of business people in Chicago. And I can't, I can't vouch for his mathematics, but here's what he said to them. He said, a billion hours ago, human life emerged. A billion minutes ago, Christianity emerged. A billion seconds ago, the Beatles appeared on Ed Sullivan. He said a billion Coca-Colas ago was yesterday morning. 
And he said, here's what we're asking ourselves at Coca-Cola. What do we have to do to make a billion Coca-Colas ago this morning? See, what troubles me is Roberta Grosetta understood something that I think the average church doesn't understand. He understood his purpose. I mean, think about his purpose, if you will, please, for a moment. I mean, you can, you can ascertain, you can determine whether you think it's a life worth living or not, but basically his purpose was to get people all over the world drinking sugar-laden, caramel-colored fizz water. <laughs> so what happens if a billion Coca-Colas ago is this morning and, and the Coca-Cola drinking doubles? I mean, how will people be advantaged by that? Will people be better for drinking Coca-Cola? I mean, that's, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not saying yes or no. I'm just asking the question. I drink a lot of Diet Coke myself. I, I'm, I'm responsible probably for at least a million of those <laughs> billion that he was talking about, if he includes Diet Coke. I'm just asking you, will people be better because of this? And think about this. They'll have to pay it. They'll pay for it. They'll have to buy it. See, we're talking about Jesus Christ. We're talking about the Son of God who forgives people of their sins and births them into a relationship with Him where they live forever. And He's free. Why is it that Coca-Cola understands so much better about how to, how to market their product than we do about telling people about Jesus Christ? Can you imagine what a difference a billion Christians would make in one day? The difference is this. In Coca-Cola, they know their purpose. I really believe in so many churches today, we don't know our purpose. But for those of you who have arrived at Messiah, you're in a church that knows its purpose. You might agree with it or disagree with it. You might like it or you might not like it. But one thing about it, we know what we're after. We know what it is. A couple of years ago, the Lord gave me, if you were here during the Connection Series, you, you, heard, me, you heard me talk about this last year. The Lord gave me our purpose statement. It's too lengthy. I mean, it's, not, it's, not, it's too long for the average purpose statement, but I know I got it from God. I got it from John chapter 15. I was reading the Bible one night. God wouldn't let me sleep, and he bore this on my soul. And I got up and wrote it down and shared it with our staff the next day, and I shared it with you last year in the Connect series. But here it is. And by the way, let me say something to you. You're, you, you could be in organizations or, or businesses or something where you have a purpose statement and it's just kind of a perfunctory thing and you don't, really, you don't really run everything you do through the grid of your purpose statement. I want you to know we evaluate everything we do here at Messiah through this purpose statement. Messiah Baptist Church exists to help people make an eternal connection with Jesus Christ and with others to grow strong in order to produce fruit for the kingdom of God. Simply put, our goal is to help people connect with Jesus, to get saved, to be born again, to know Christ. That is what we are about. Everything that we do here, every ministry of this church is calibrated to reach people who have yet to become followers of Jesus Christ. And I'm so glad that so many are having that happen for them here at this church. And then we want people to connect with others. Because, you know, it's through connecting with others that we, we, we grow. And that's what our connection group ministry is about. And more and more of those groups are beginning all the time. And I want to challenge you, don't just, you know, don't just come in here and enjoy the big room. Get involved in a connection group. And then the reason why we, we, we connect people, we want people to connect with Jesus Christ and to teach them so that they can grow strong is so that they will reproduce themselves and bring other people to Jesus Christ so that we can do the job that Jesus assigned us to do. Last year, I, I set up a table with three chairs. 
and those of you who were here then, you'll remember this. And I, I said, our, my prayer for Messiah is that we'll be made up of three groups of people. I'd love to see this be equal, where all three groups of people are, are pretty equal. In the first chair would be those who are just beginning to explore what Jesus has to say. Maybe you haven't followed Jesus yet. Maybe you haven't accepted him, but you're open to what he has to say. And you're sitting in this chair saying, you know what? I never thought I'd be in church before, but I'm coming and, and I'm enjoying it and I'm learning and I'm open. And then the, the second chair would be those who say, okay, I've crossed the line. I've now accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. I don't know how to live yet, but I've accepted Christ. I've given my life to him. The third chair would be filled with people who are mature Christians, who have grown in their faith. And here's the mark, as I shared with you last year, here's the mark of a mature Christian. It's not that you have a whole lot of notes, that you've studied the Bible and you've been to all these Bible studies and stuff. That's not the mark of the mature Christian. The mark of the mature Christian is you begin to serve, you begin to break the bread of life, and you begin to serve others. Right now, Messiah... Our world is changing because as we've changed space, as I said, one piece of the puzzle moves another piece of the puzzle. And because of growth, one of the things I just need to share with you, we can never really afford for this room to be filled because if this room is ever filled, it puts so much pressure on the rest of the facility, we're lost. And so what we've said is, hey, God is leading us to replicate what's going here more. And so on September the 9th, we will actually be beginning a brand new Saturday evening service at 6 o'clock. So there will be three services. And in each of the three services, the kids' ministry will sync up. The same service each time, the same worship service, the same kids' program. Why? So that we can maximize the preparation that goes into this ministry. And a great deal goes into it. So here's what my prayer is. And not, not all of you are ready for this yet, but some of you I pray will be. When you get to this third chair, my prayer is that you will see your ministry here at Messiah in these terms. With all the services that we have here, I, I want to worship one and I want to serve one. The volunteer base that we need here at Messiah for all of our ministries is great. And if you really want to develop in the Christian life, the way to develop is to begin to serve the Lord. So my prayer is that there will be those of you who will say, okay, I'm going to worship one service, I'm going to serve one service. Maybe I'll worship at 9.30 and serve at 11. Maybe I'll worship on Saturday night and serve on Sunday morning. Maybe I'll worship one Sunday and I'll serve another Sunday. Maybe I'm going to worship part of both services. If you're in the music ministry, that may be the case. And I'll serve in, in part of the services. But my prayer is that when you you hit that third chair, you won't see yourself as a mature Christian because you've been here for a long time. You'll see yourself as a mature Christian because you worship and you serve. That's how God can grow an awesome ministry in this place. He's already doing it, and I'm glad you're here. A couple things that I want to share with you, and I'll be through. When you saw the video at the beginning of the service, for some of you may have just come in for the first time here today, and you say, man, Mark, what, what have you been talking about? Well, what you have to understand is a lot of the space that's been allocated to other places is now going to be allocated to kids' space because we just, we have, we're blessed with so many children. And, and, and let me tell you about one of the first spaces I, I, I found out about. See, when we began to look at what we really needed, the truth is we needed to build a children's building. But we're at least three years away from that. If we were to get into the master planning and the architecture, and we are working toward this, but, I mean, in, in the time of construction, if we wanted to go today, it would take us almost three years to get the kids building. But we don't have three years. 
I mean, if we waited three years at this maximized point, we would just lose this time, and we can't afford to do that. So we were praying about, and our children's pastor and our leadership team were praying about what can we do for these next three years to create an environment where we can grow and we can serve the needs of kids. And, and uh, uh, we were praying about that, been talking about it, and then I went out of town to a pastor's conference in Texas, and things happen when I go out of town. Uh, I met with our executive pastor and children's pastor and children's pastor, and, 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 they, and they asked me if I was sitting down when I got back home, and, and I sat down, and, and they said, Pastor, there is a solution. It is a temporary solution, but it's going to be radical. And when I looked at the plans, one of the first things I saw was my office is gone. <laughs> That's right. I mean, you have to know, 10 years ago when we were drawing this building, that was the office of my dreams. If you've ever been in my office, you know it's a beautiful place. I've got, I've got floor-to-ceiling windows on three sides. It, it was situated so I could look to the north and watch the weather roll in from the northwest. I love to do that. And it's beautiful. I mean, I've got this ornate desk, and I've got this leather seating area, and dark green carpet, and it's, it's just a beautiful place. But, you know, they said, man, we need this whole area up here, the whole office complex. You know, two-year-olds would be on this side. Three-year-olds would be where your office and executive pastor Billy Poor's office used to be. And all the offices are moving over here to kind of the prefab section. And in there, my office is going to be this long, rectangular, kind of nondescript room. I mean, I love that office. It had a restroom in it. It was drawn. I mean, it's just right off that hallway right there, 20 steps just about, and I'm on the stage. And you say, Mark, how do you feel about that? Absolutely ecstatic. There are pastors all over this country that would give their right arms to be in a church where the growth is so wonderful and so awesome that his office is needed for three-year-olds. You know, I'm just sharing my heart with you today because we are going to be involved in change. And for some who've come from kind of more institutional backgrounds, you don't like change. I've got to tell you something. If you're here and you say, Mark, I don't like change, I promise you we're not your church because we're going to change all the time. The only thing we could ever do at Messiah that would be change is to live with the status quo. Because, see, here's the thing. We're always evaluating where we are. Are we accomplishing the mission? It's not about the institution. It's about the purpose, and we're always asking ourselves, how well are we doing? And it's always going to involve change. Suppose, when the question came up about my office, suppose I said, well, hey, I, I don't know about that. Don't you realize that a lot of good things have happened in my office? I mean, I look out on this worship service today, and I see a number of you who knelt down by my coffee table and held my hand, and that's where you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. I, I've held the hands of husbands and wives as God put their home back together. I prayed with some of you in my office about life-changing things and prayed through some really tough and dark valleys. And suppose I said, you know, I don't think I can do that. Just been too many good things that have happened in that room. I won't give it up. You know what you'd say about that? You'd say that your pastor was a selfish man, and you'd be right. <laughs> I'm delighted. I'm thrilled. I, I'm just overjoyed that in the place where people gave their life to Christ and where 
God put homes back together and, and where, where, where God answered prayer. I'm so delighted that now three-year-olds are going to go in that room and they're going to learn about Jesus and get on the front side of their lives. I'm telling you, my heart is filled with joy that I don't have my office anymore. That's what you would expect out of your pastor. And that's what your pastor expects out of you. Some things are going to change. Some rooms are going to change. Some assignments are going to change. But just as you would expect me to be ecstatic about what God's doing, I want you to be ecstatic about what God's doing. Your cheese may get moved, but God's going to do great things. It's all about the purpose. It's all about what God called us to. Because See, we don't calibrate this ministry based on what it used to be or where it's come from or, or, or what, you, what we think a church ought to be. It's calibrated based on the, the purpose, the ministry of the church. And most of all, when people come in our doors, is there help for them? This, and I promise I'm through. I know I'm in overtime, so I'll try to tell it fast. Do I look overdressed today? I am. I promise you I'm overdressed. <laughs> I mean, I, I, if I'm sitting up here talking... You know, having a hangman's noose around my neck is not the greatest thing in the world. But I, I have my tie in this dark suit on today for a purpose. There's a story that goes with it. I, I need a dark suit. As a pastor, there are just occasions that, that demand that I have a dark suit. And I, I have to have them, and, and I've been needing one for a while. But I, I, I don't like to buy suits. And I'll tell you why. I don't like cheap suits, but good suits are too expensive. And every time I look at the price tag, Meryl keeps saying, break, just break down and buy one. I'm saying, no, you can buy a home appliance for this. You know, you could buy a computer for this. And, and I just can't see putting money into a jacket and, and trousers, you know. And I'm hard on suits, too. I've always been really hard on suits. And so I have a hard time with that. And I don't know how many times Meryl said, just break down by the suit. I said, no, I'm not going to do it. I'm going to wait. So I went to Texas, a trip I was telling you about the other day. And there's, a, there's an outlet, Dillard's Outlet down there in Texas. And I've shopped there for many, many years and walked in and, and to see if they had any suits. And I found this, and I really liked it. It's kind of my size, and it's kind of the weight I was looking for. And beyond that, it's a nice suit. And, and, and because they had the markdown, I, I wound up paying about a fourth of what it cost. And I said, okay, I'll break down and buy a suit. I think I paid about $150 for it, and that's more information than you probably want to know. But anyway, bought the suit. But because it was a discount house, they didn't have alterations. Brought it back to Kansas. I, there's, there's this one little shop that's done alterations for me forever. And, and the lady that owned the shop always did just meticulous work. So I carried this nice suit in, and, and I want this lady to alter it. The only problem is I go in, she's not there anymore, and, and the shop's got new owners. And uh, I'm kind of, you know, you ever people just make you nervous? You ever take your car in someplace, or it's like, mm. it's like oh, I'm not sure if I want to leave this with them, you know? Bec and I, I, I don't swear to things, but if I did swear to things, I would swear that I heard one of them say to the other, I've read in a book that the sleeve should look like this. I knew, 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 knew I shouldn't have left it there, but I did. And they said, come back in a week. And I came back, and, and when I came back, they hadn't even started on it. And, and uh, so Stephen Paul, my 12-year-old, he was there with me. And we sat there, and I promise you, we sat there for an hour and a half. And after an hour and a half of working and reworking and trying to get it done, she brought it out to me. And when I got the first sleeve, I'm telling you, man, the buttons weren't lined up. It was all puckered and gnarled. I mean, it looked like a kid did it on the first day of home ec. <laughs> it looked like I did it blindfolded and this sleeve the hem was out and this sleeve was just hanging like this and that was an hour and a half where I finally said you know ma'am if, if you had just told me you didn't know how to do this that would have been okay but I, I really just need to take this with me 
And I was sick. I mean, I, I was almost physically sick. I went out and I hung it up and I put it in my car and, you know, sleeve all gnarled and him hanging out. <laughs> and Stephen's feeling really bad for me. Stephen's real empathetic and he said, Dad, I just feel so terrible for you. And I'm trying to cheer him up and I'm saying, it's just close, son. I mean, this, this, it, it doesn't matter. And on the inside, I'm saying, oh, my suit is ruined. And uh, so I go home and, and Meryl said, how'd, how'd your afternoon guy? I said, it's just absolutely rotten. You know, this lady ruined my suit. And Meryl said, well, you know, she said, you could take it to another alteration place. I said, no, I can't do that. I'd be too embarrassed. I mean, because the sleeves all not him singing down. Because I'm thinking, you know, I'm embar- I mean, I, if I would take it to an alteration shop, they're going to say, how did it get this way, you know? And I'm going to have to explain it that I didn't have good sense. I took it to a place, and they messed it all up and ruined my suit. Well, Mary Alice is such an awesome wife. I, mean, I tell you that all the time, and she's even better than I tell you. And so she, she got on the phone and made the call for me and contacted a department store and found out who did their alterations. And she told me the, name, the address of the place. And I got my courage up, and I walk in. You know, I've got, I've got the jacket now and the sleeve all messed up, him hanging down, and just wretched looking. Now I've got to go and embarrass myself and say, can you do anything with this? And I'm just prepared to hear him say, mm-mm, that's ruined. <laughs> Sorry. If you'd have brought it to me the first time, I could have helped you, but I can't do anything for you now. I was waiting for him to say that. So when I walk in the door, I'm kind of looking over my shoulders to make sure nobody's watching, you know, and kind of saunter, you know, slowly moving up to the counter, getting my courage up. The man's there with his wife, really nice guy. And I showed him what happened. By the way, he knew about the other alteration place. I wasn't the only one who came in. And I'll never forget what he said to me. That's why I wore the suit today. I was all tense and I was all, you know, uncomfortable and embarrassed. And I started trying to explain it to him, and my words got all jumbled up. And he just stopped me. He said, It's okay, sir. Bring it to us. It's what we do. All over America, there are churches like that first shop. They have a sign on the door. They claim to be able to help. But people go in and out, and they leave just like they came in or worse. I want to be the kind of church that can say what that man said to me. When people come in with their lives all tangled up sometimes, and the button's not lined up, and the sleeve gnarled, and the hem out. And they may be embarrassed about walking into church for the first time and joking about the ceiling falling in. I want us to be the church where all of us can say about their life, bring it to us. It's what we do. It's what we do. And it all comes down to a choice. Are we going to be an institution? Are we going to be a place that lives up to our purpose? By God's grace, we're going to be the kind of church that lives up to its purpose. And my prayer is that God is calling you here that you'll move through these chairs as fast as possible. Get to that third chair where you're saying, I'm ready to worship one and serve one. To all the people who are hurting and needing help, bring your life to us. It's what we do. God bless you. Let's stand together. Father, I thank you for what you've done in our place today and what you're going to do in the future. Lord, I pray that you would continue to anoint this church with power from on high. God, please continue to grow it. We're delighted that we're trading spaces. 
and you'll supply, Lord. We know you will. Help us to be faithful to the mission, to the purpose that you've called us to. And Lord, there could be someone here today that would just say, it's not my purpose. Father, give them permission to go a different direction. But Father, for those of us who remain, I pray that you'll give us a passion, not just, not just a purpose statement, but a passion to reach people. In Jesus' name, amen. Every week, I don't close the service without giving you the opportunity to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. That's, I've said that's what the purpose of this church is. We can't connect you with Jesus, but we can set the table. We can tell you what God says. God says he loved you and sent his son to die for you, Jesus. He lived the perfect life that you can't live, died on the cross as a payment for your sins. He put him in a grave, and three days later, he stood up and walked out under his own power. Today he's in heaven. He's listening to you. And if you want to invite him into your life, you can. I want to pray with you, and you can pray with me. Lord Jesus, I know I've sinned against you. I believe you died for me. Receive me as your child. Forgive me. I trust you as my Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer with me, or if you just want to know more about how to do that, you can let me know with your care card. And if you'll give me an address that I can send some materials to you, if you'll put that address on there, I'll send you some, some materials, some books that will help you as you take your first steps. You can drop it in the back of the worship center in the boxes there at the bottom of the stairwell. Or you can give them to me personally, drop them in the offering plate. We just want to be able to minister to you. You say, Mark, I'm here and I want to know how to become part of this great team. You can let me know with that care card as well. I'm going to give you just a moment as Steve leads us in a song. And while God speaks to your heart, just do whatever he's calling you to do.